Welcome to Sugar Loops Weekly. We're back after the Thanksgiving holiday. This episode is brought to you by Mike Bryant and Team 1.21 Gigawatts. In NFL Week 12, Team Gigawatts lost by exactly 0.52 points. Ouch. He left Fournette on the bench. 4 TDs, 47.1 fantasy points. With this very generous donation of bench points, it seems like the pod might now be sponsored, you know, maybe through the end of the season. So, uh, thank you very much, Team Digawatts. Joe, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. Good. All right. The kids kids are all uh, tucked in, safe and sound. I think so. I haven't heard him uh, get up yet, so should be good. Yeah, so I mean, for anyone wondering who really runs this podcast, it's um, everyone's children because that's pretty much what dictates um, when we can do this. So listeners, we have a very special guest tonight. We have a Gator great, a uh, all-SEC kicker, an all-American, an SEC champion, a BCS national champion, and a Super Bowl champion. Goes by the name of Caleb Sturgis. You probably know him better as the manager of Team Sturgis of the Sugar Loops League. Caleb Sturgis, welcome to Sugar Loops Weekly. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super stoked to uh, talk some uh, fantasy football, kind of vent a little bit about my team this year. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I I get into this group with Mike Bryant, and he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, you probably heard of this guy, Caleb Sturgis. Um, He's in the league, too. So I'm thinking, you know, here's this guy who, you know, he's played a lot of football. He's probably got a lot of insights into football. And um, I don't know, maybe that's going to translate well into fantasy. But then, you know, it doesn't look like it's really working out uh, so so well for you this year. So, um, I mean, what's your current take on your, your fantasy football situation right now? I'm trending the right way for sure. I think I'm like five and seven now, which is, I think I started something like – maybe two and six or something so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm heading the right way for sure i just made uh you know when, when you uh, take a guy from your school he's kind of from the heart rather than uh <laughs> think over, overthinking i took Pitts a little bit early um he's been fine but then i took kittle right after so overdid the tight ends and mm-hmm. um yeah it just hasn't hasn't quite worked out yet um but my team's honestly pretty deep now. It usually, it's kind of the way fantasy works. You kind of want to struggle a little bit at the, begin- at the beginning. So you get real high on the waiver wire, pick up some of the better free right. agents early, and then tr- and then really uh, uh, pick up the team late in the season. But I think I started a little bit too late. Well, I mean, from what I see, you're tied for – so according to ESPN, you're tied for ninth out of 12th. Um, 21% chance of making the playoffs. And, um, you know, you haven't done horrible, per se, in terms of points scored. So um, looks like for points scored, you come in at fifth. And what's really getting you is, you know, I mentioned points this on earlier. Yeah, the points against. And I mentioned it on an earlier pod that basically I think, you know, you come in here as, you know, a former NFL player. And I think everyone's really – you know, taking their week against you very seriously. And um, they've just happened to put up their best weeks. So, yeah, 1,700 points against, which is number number one 
across uh, all teams. So no, no one's making it easy for you. Um, I did see that, you know, you've got Chris Boswell. He's, um, you know, a top five kicker in terms of points. So as expected, you, you did pick a kicker, um, you know, here in your, your true realm of expertise who, who's doing well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 21% chance of playoffs could be better, um, could be worse. Um, you know, do you know uh, this guy in the league named Tim? Named Tim. Tim Higgins. Oh, yes. Well, I, I know of Tim, yeah. So I know of Tim, and, um, you know, in the in the WhatsApp thread, you know, he's made um, some very kind of like almost depressing comments about how his season is over and stuff. But I just wanted to put it out there that while I was checking out um, everyone's playoff chances, Tim does actually have a 2% chance of making the playoffs. <laughs> so it's technically um, not, not all the way over for him. So, Tim, Same. if you're listening out there, you know, keep your head up. Um, it's not over till it's over. <laughs> so, Caleb, I'm curious um, where, you know, how do you uh, – how did you get into this league? Who do you know uh, that brought you in from, you know, this group of people? Yeah, so uh, Mike, Brian, and I are in the same small group at uh, Westside Baptist Church. And then, okay. um, yeah, Adam Langston is uh, in, in the group as well. So uh, they, they were my ins into the league. Um, you know, I didn't know much about it. Mike just kind of asked me if I wanted to join and uh, you know, di- didn't realize what, what I was getting into. But I was happy to see right away. It's, uh, you know, 12, 12 guys that are take it very seriously for the, for the most part, always set their lineups much better than I do. I think I've left uh, one or two guys over the course of the, what was it, 11 games now. Uh, left a few guys on bye on, uh, in my starting lineup, which is, uh, you know, highly frowned upon, I know. Um, but it's when you have 12 people that take it pretty seriously all the way through, so nobody gets a, a cheap win. Yeah, I think, uh, I think most would agree we have at least 11 taking you know taking it uh seriously or at least setting their lineups every week um i think uh pat my gnomes team pat my gnomes i think he's kind of dropped off the radar a little bit but um it is what it is so uh obviously you uh played football at the university of florida i think for the most part um you know a lot of the people in this league have some sort of tie to uh the university of florida um, so, you know, it's been kind of a, a rough, uh, football season for all of us. So, you know, as a former player, curious to get your take on, uh, the current Florida football season. Yeah, I'm kind of glad it's over more than anything. <laughs> um, yeah, crazy because, you know, where we were winning the first few games and, um, playing against Alabama and playing them so closely, when I thought Alabama was actually really good. And when we played them that close, I thought we were right there as far as, you know, the way um, our offense looked last year. We were competing with everybody, including Alabama, during maybe their greatest team ever. Um, and the SEC championship game rolling over to this year, um, you know, looks like we have a fairly talented team. Play Alabama that close. Uh, it's pretty wild to have that kind of swing where right. we end up losing to Kentucky, LSU in that way. Missouri and um, to the point too where we probably would have been favored against Florida State 30 plus points at the beginning of the year and then to mm-hmm. be favored by two or three by the end is uh, a pretty wild swing and it's just something that 
when you're building a program and, and you see that kind of swing and uh, talent and effort and things like that, that's when uh, you know, I guess a change is warranted. When a change is warranted. So obviously a uh, change has been made at, um, at this point. So, you know, I guess uh, when you were at Florida, Mullen was, he wasn't there when you were there. Or did you guys have any time together? We overlapped one year. So I got one there year. in okay. 2008 and he was still the offensive coordinator there. Gotcha. Um, so I don't know. I just, um, you know, I'm just curious, you know, as a, as a former player, um, what is it like for the players going through a season like this um, where, you know, you're out there. I mean, hopefully you're, you know, just trying your hardest to, you know, put out a respectable performance, but then you kind of have all this drama going on in the background and then, you know, your coach is fired before the season is over. Um, How do you think, you know, what is that like for the players out there? Yeah. I mean, it tells you a lot about the individual players. I think how, how they react to it, you know, it's how much respect they have for themselves and, and the school with uh, the effort that they show after that, because they know, you know, a lot of the coaching staff is not going to be there anymore. Um, but at the end of the day, you're kind of, your resume is uh, the product that you put out on the field and all these guys, if, if they wanted to um, not give great effort and all that, it's going to be on film if they hit the transfer portal or under the, the next regime. And, right. um, you know, I went through it, kind of a few times with uh you know Meyer to Muschamp a little bit different situation there obviously Meyer was not fired we still had quite a dip between the 2008-2009 seasons to 2010 losing five games and then um you know went through it again that NFL with Chip Kelly Mm -hmm. um getting fired but for me it was always you know it's my position is so black and white where um (laughs) you know the ball goes in, you're playing well. If it, if it doesn't go through the uprights, it's a, it's a super, super poor play. So um, I don't think I dealt with it as much as uh, the other guys, but there's definitely more of just, um, I don't know if you call it chaos or just, there's not much direction going on. I would say gotcha. yeah. one, one of the funnier stories I, I, I do remember those uh, when Meyer was, for sure leaving in 2010 and that whole staff, you know, we lost five games. So that whole staff thinks they're out of there. I remember coach Durkin was our special teams coordinator at the time, a super mm-hmm. serious guy that, um, you know, was always very intense out of practice. And I remember him coming out kind of for the first bowl practice and just completely didn't care about anything. was, jo- was joking <laughs> with us com- completely free. Um, uh, so it was just funny, you know, from their standpoint too, of just, you know, they understand that uh change is coming as well and try to deal with it the best they can. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so do you know anything about this, uh, Billy, uh, Napier guy? Napier. I, I'm not too much to be honest. Um, I've heard very good things. I heard he recruits well, but I think everybody that ever was at Alabama seemed to have recruited well. Um, mm-hmm. but what he's done at, uh, Louisiana has been super impressive. I don't think that's a really easy job there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, obviously Urban Meyer coming from Utah, maybe a little bit bigger of a program, but at the time, not much bigger. And, um, right. you know, Coach Spurrier coming from Duke. Um, I'm excited. It seemed like he was the most sought after up and coming coach. And we got him on our first try rather than uh, striking out a few times. And 
I, I mean, I think that is uh, it shows really well to recruits and and people around the organization that we got our guy. Yeah, and I mean, you you bring up recruiting, which is obviously you know a big um, component of you know the success for a football program. And um, you know, I'm not a you know I don't. I don't have contacts in the football world. I don't follow the news super closely, but it does seem like people comment on Dan Mullen that recruiting might've been one of his weaknesses. Um, so I'm curious, um, you know, from, from what you've heard or your take on it, do you think that would be um, accurate? And then also I wanted to just, you know, talk a little bit about recruiting in general um, you know, here in 2021, moving into 2022, because it seems like with all the recent changes to college athletics, like it's kind of just like a whole new world of what that might look like. Yeah. So I definitely think it's changed completely from when I played, but Mm -hmm. just kind of from an outsider's perspective and then having played a little bit of just kind of what mattered and all the one thing that was kind of disappointing in the whole Mullen thing year over year was, you know, the product that he had was so good last year. And to me, any kind of, any kind of sales that you do, if you have the best product, you can be an average salesman and still, Mm -hmm. and still sell because, you know, it's just, you show them the product. And I think some of that, you know, Nick Saban's obviously a great salesman, but in addition, you know, how, how could you not be impressed as a recruit of seeing the the resume that, that he has and, you know, if you're a running back and you play here, you're going to go to the NFL. If you're an offensive lineman and you play here, you're going to go to the NFL. Right. So seeing the offense do what they did last year, you know, Trask breaking all these records, Pitts breaking all these records, you know, the offense is absolutely humming. To me, to not be able to sell that the next mm-hmm. year, you know, through recruiting was, uh, you know, kind of glaring. To yeah. if, if you can't sell that, then how, you know, coming off a six and six season like this, right? do you – could you go out and sell that? And, and I don't, and again, I don't know if it's lack of effort, if it's lack of resources um, or what the exact problem was, or if he just doesn't, isn't able to build the same relationships as some of these other coaches. Gotcha. I don't know what exactly it was, but it, it was disappointing. Ultimately the reason he uh, was fired. And, and when you think about it, it's, you know, he had people really excited about the offense and yeah. finally having another offense again. And, um, but, you know, I think one thing that got Muschamp one more year was the fact that A, he recruited well, and B, took a lot of responsibility for the losses. And those mm. two things would be, I guess, kind of Mullen's biggest downfalls in all this. Yep, makes sense. But as far um, as the recruiting now, though, it's it's changed a lot. And the sense before, it was really, you know, if I'm, I have to be completely honest, I'd say 85 to 90% of guys really don't care about the institution as far as the education goes and and things like that it's it's purely football Mm -hmm. and you know everybody's was had to follow such such tight rules by the NCA of you can get this many meals and you can do this so it was really tough to differentiate yourself from another school other than you know how you're doing record wise and whatnot and you know I guess where you're living and um, you know, who you have in your backyard type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why facilities were so big because that was one small differentiator is, you know, if you had to stay somewhere for five years, are you going to stay at a, 
Ritz Carlton or are you going to stay at the Courtyard <laughs> Marriott? You know, you get, yeah. we'll, we'll serve you the same food and, um, you know, you'll play the same game, but, <laughs> you know, right. you're going to be living in a Courtyard Marriott or a Ritz Carlton. And I think that's one thing we really fell behind in because of uh, the, the success we had. We felt like we didn't need it. We felt like it was Florida that really sold itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but while we were doing that, you know, Clemson, Alabama. Going crazy out there. Yep. Yeah, and Ohio State. I mean, they spent every dollar they had to um, make sure their breadwinner was <laughs> taken care of. And it's a little worrisome now because I, I think there's going to be a shift and we're finally getting that facility. But when you look at the NFL, where guys are able to actually make money off uh, their performance, which now with NIL, you know, it's not directly from the team that they're playing for. Um, it's ultimately going to come down to how are you going to best promote these kids to be able to make money off the field is going to be what's selling to them. Yeah, you know, that's uh, it's it's just crazy, like how it's going to be a completely different different um, world now because, like you said before, you know, people just want to go to the best football program, best facilities. Now it's like if I'm you know a five star recruit. I'm thinking like, who is going to help facilitate me making my millions of dollars before I even have to go to the NFL potentially. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I guess for the, for any listeners that might not be familiar um, with this whole issue surrounding um, NIL or name image and likeness, could you give us a little bit of, you know, just like a quick summary on, on what's going on here? Yeah, I probably can't give the exact, but for the most part, it's, I mean, for the most part, the NCAA um, can't really monitor any of this because the public opinion is not on their side anymore. And so, you know, the university can't directly pay the kids, but they can get sponsorships, endorsements, um, and do all these things um, outside the school and Mm -hmm. be compensated for it now, where before you couldn't even accept a free lunch from... Mm -hmm you know, another parent on the team, you know, it was, it was so, it was, we couldn't even have peanut butter, uh, in, in, in the mornings. It was so strict <laughs> by the, by the NCAA. And, um, so, so now though, you know, even boosters can, can give away, you know, these, uh, NIL deals, you know, the entire team for, for the entire starting offensive line for Ohio state is driving $70,000 Chevy trucks. Um, so now it's really just facilitating those deals mm-hmm. in my opinion of, you know, the guys are seeing, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, the Alabama quarterback makes a million dollars before he steps on the field. Nice. And these recruits are certainly paying attention to that. And I think that is the, the new normal. And there's, you know, the age of, uh, YouTube stars being super popular today and, and things like that. It's, it's going to be about creating content and, uh, creating as much as you can for these athletes to showcase themselves and really profit off their time here at school. So like, I guess I'm just thinking out loud here. If, you know, a a school that is successful at recruiting now, you know, one thing that they're probably going to need to do is facilitate, you know, help, help their recruits and help their student athletes um, in that realm, you know, work with these people that can be sponsors for them and all that. So like, if the schools are going to be involved in that, I mean, why don't we just cut out the middleman and just let schools directly pay the athletes then? Yeah, that, I mean, that would be, 
the smartest thing to do. Um, it'd be the best, but they don't ever want to actually pay the athletes because then, then they become employees and that creates just a whole new world of problems for them, including having to pay them health insurance for injuries (laughs) that they have down the road and, and all these different things that, you know, they, they've had such a nice blanket for the long, the NCAAs had, you know, the universities in general have had such a nice blanket yeah. for so long of not, you know, the guys play for four or five years, make millions upon millions of dollars for them. And then the, the day they step off campus, they're owed nothing anymore. And the yeah, second yeah. they become employees, you know, you, you have to have disability and, and all the, all these different things that are going to be years mm-hmm. down the road. Um, so they're going to fight that as long as possible. Um, mm-hmm. But that, that certainly would be nice. Mm-hmm. Well, and, so, okay. Oh, go ahead. So, and I guess the other thing too is then you bring in Title IX, so you can't just pay the football oh. players. Then you have to pay the oh, athletes man. all around. So the NIL deal is really the way around doing that too, to Got where it. the that for the most sense. part it's the revenue generators, and then also the people with huge social media followings. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, that's nuts. So, um, so unfortunately for you, when you were in college, you didn't have that opportunity. Um, so what did what did recruiting look like for you when you were coming out of high school, uh, trying to decide where to go to college? Yeah, for me, it was, I mean, my story is kind of boring because I only ever <laughs> took, took one official to Florida. Um, you know, I just grew up a huge Gator fan and mm-hmm. my mom went to the University of Florida. So if they ever offered, if they offered me a scholarship, that's where I was going. It was just, <laughs> well, gotcha. it wasn't, wasn't even a thought. So, you know, for me, I had to, come here to one of the summer camps and do a one day in front of coach Meyer. Mm-hmm. And basically he, um, you know, he evaluated that and offered me that day. Um, and they, they talked to me. Coach Madison was here at the time he left actually, you know, he, he uh, recruited Omar Hunter and a few five-star defensive linemen and then uh, jump ship the day after signing day. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's another topic we can go on later about this whole uh, coaching still going on right now and, and uh, you know, what they owe to the players. Mm. But, um, you know, for me, for the most part, it was just, you know, once, once Florida offered, that's where I was going, but I, I probably had about 20 offers and oh, wow. to uh, go off of. And if Florida didn't offer, it would have been much different. I probably would have taken, I think you, at the time you could take up the five official visits. Maybe it's more now. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some of these kids, it's pretty wild. Of You see, all these different fan accounts and all just constantly on their uh, Twitter and different social media yeah. outlets and, you know, just trying to promote them as much as possible at whatever school they're at to, you know, s- sway them. So it's definitely changed a whole lot from when I was there, wow. but it was definitely more of just who the coach was, how the, t- or how the team was doing at the time. Um, it seems to have changed a good bit. All right. So you grew up a Gator fan and you, uh, uh, where'd you go to high school? St. Augustine high school. St. Augustine. So, um, so that was like a no brainer for you. Lifelong Gator fan. If you get the offer from UF, that's where you're going to go. Um, so to go back further, even one step in the past, um, when did you start playing football and, you know, really focus on kicking? Yeah, so I didn't start till I was 15, my sophomore year of high school. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, and really, for the most part, the reason I started kicking is my brother uh, is a really good soccer player. He left mm-hmm. uh, the house when he was 14 or 15 to go play for the under-17 national team down at uh, oh, IMG. And he started for the under-17, so 
you know, theoretically, he's top 11 players for his age group. Wow. Um, but men's soccer, you know, his dream was always to go to UNC. And they would only offer him 75% scholarship to go there hmm. because they only had nine scholarships that had to split them up between 18 guys. So 75% was, and maybe they offered one or two guys every year, a full ride. And one of his good mm-hmm. buddies was uh, on the team and, and he went there. So he ended up going to Clemson on a full ride. But I saw okay. that and I thought, you know, top 11 player in the country <laughs> and can't handpick the school he wants to go to. Mm-hmm. Um and he is 10 times better than me. And I was a good <laughs> soccer player. I, I probably could have played at a uh, small Division One school, but nothing even mm-hmm. close to that. And and they all went to Nice High School, and they, they went to a state championship. My sister uh, won a state championship in soccer there, and they were all homeschooled all the way through it. But I was, uh, you know, I was a pain for my mom to homeschool. So I, I said, at high school, I've, I've got to finally go to school. And we were actually zoned for St. Augustine where we had a horrible soccer team. Mm-hmm. But the football team was really good. We had Brandon okay. James is a name that uh, probably oh, yeah. everybody would recognize. And Jacquez Rickerson was here for a little while. And um, so, you know, played my first year of just playing soccer. And second year, the football coach asked if I wanted to play. And I didn't really want to play. And I was playing club soccer at the time. And I told him, you know, I'll, I'll play, but I'm going to miss some games when I have tournaments and stuff like that. <laughs> but but I'll do it because we're probably going to win a state championship this year. Uh-huh. And sure enough, we did. We won the state championship that year. And uh, the more I did it, the more I realized, like, man, every team we're playing against, their kicker is terrible. Maybe I am decent. <laughs> I am decent at this. And uh, kind of went from there. Wow. So not even until um, not even until high school. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So. When do you think it was that you realized, like, okay, I think, you know, I'm actually, you know, I have the talent to go to the next level with this. Yeah, so I had a kicking coach that uh, he went to Florida State, uh, Dan Mowry. And so, I mean, he kind of gave me an idea that I could do it. But, again, you, you just don't know. You just assume everybody can kind of do it when when you just um, – you only see a few guys you play against – and if they don't take kicking seriously, they might just toe poke the ball or something. But in the in the state championship game my sophomore year, I hit a 49-yarder, and I hit a kickoff through the uprights. Uh, <laughs> it was in Dolphin Stadium, actually, which is funny. So but when, when I did that, a lot of people started coming up to me and telling me, like, hey, you can really uh, yeah. do this at the next level. That's when I started believing it more. Uh-huh. So, all right, so I have, like, a very basic question about, mm-hmm. you know, kickers. So, like – um basically i'm trying to figure out like what does a kicker uh do in order to um improve or like i guess what do you how do kickers like practice and work out so like um you know probably you know i don't know do you have to do like sprints and stuff with the team because i mean you're not running a lot you're just kicking so like do you just kick all day do you you know are you doing a lot of strength workouts for your legs like what does a kicker do to become a better kicker yeah um well i'd say 80 percent of it is god-given and uh <laughs> um but a lot of it too is just growing up with soccer you just kind of learn the right way to lock out your ankle and swing and mm-hmm. stuff like that and then it's kind of a small transition from there um, as far as working out goes i think everywhere is a little bit different uh you know florida the off season i would do everything everybody else would do mm-hmm. as far as we did every conditioning drill agilities 
strength training and everything like that, which looking back probably wasn't overly smart. I think there is um, something to be said to train with the team, but also do uh, position specific right. training, um, especially with just, you know, overworking certain, you know, with the quarterback, no quarterback is going to be doing a ton of overhead presses and going and throwing a, a football a ton. And, right. and with kicking, it's, it's similar with the hips and loading the back and stuff like that. There's time and place, but it's, you know, time of the year and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking back, you know, I probably would have stood up for myself a little bit more in the weight room and what I would have done mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. Um, but I think now there's definitely more um, kicker specific things that the, the teams probably do. And you know, conditioning and all that stuff's fine. Uh, sprints are great. Uh, box jumps and all that but mm-hmm. you, know, you just you don't want to, you only have one kicker on scholarship usually so you don't want to hurt him uh doing strength yeah. things right so how did that um so how did that look uh in the nfl as far as you know what you'd be doing during practice and training during the season and off season sorry i lost you there for a minute oh um so same topic but in the nfl um Mm -hmm. you know what kind of stuff are you doing during the season as far as practice and then training during the season and off season yes nfl is completely different it's uh you know you're a professional at that point so they leave a lot of it more up to you and we have teamwork and things like that but then it became very position specific you know the quarterbacks only did their things the offensive defensive line would usually do some you know there are certain exercises we all did it's good for all of us but um, mm-hmm. we'd have different strength coaches go with um, different position groups and, and work through things there. Um, but so much of it is just on your own. I would say 50% of guys have their own strength coaches outside of the building and they've got, okay. you know, they'll come in with cards and do their own thing. And the strength coaches are kind of just babysitters during, <laughs> during, during, during some of it. Um, it's funny in college, I would say, you know, strength coach might be the second biggest position behind the head coach. We're in the NFL. We're in the NFL. It's you know almost uh, it's, it's important, but at the same time, you know I wouldn't uh, overthink that that one. Um, but for for me, you know, it was really nice. Some of the places I played, we would uh, do the special teams the first three periods of the day. So we'd go out there early. We'd we'd do the first three periods of the day. About twenty minutes later. <laughs> we could go back in and do our workout and hang out inside and go back about <laughs> five minutes left of practice and, and then, and finish things out. Um, mm-hmm. we sat in a lot of meetings that didn't really apply to us, <laughs> uh, just the special teams meetings and whatnot. Um, uh-huh. but yeah, somewhat, you know, you have one kicker, one punter and one long snapper. So a lot of it is just on, on yourself to make sure, you know, how are you going to be prepared for this week? And, um, it's just self-evaluation through watching film on yourself, um, making sure that you have the stamina to go through a 17-game season where you're not losing strength mm-hmm. all the way through. But at the same time, you know you don't want to overwork yourself heading uh, into any specific game. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, all right. So going back to Florida, uh, you're at Florida, um, or you know you're at Saint Augustine. Then you uh, end up committing to Florida, spent a couple of years at Florida. Um, you guys, you know, had some some really great, great years there with, when you were there. And then, um, again, similar question as before, at what point during your time at Florida did you realize, you know what, I could be an NFL kicker? 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's, and it's kind of a good uh, you know, thing to hold as well as, you know, outside of football of you've got to constantly be setting new goals for yourself. And I think going coming in at, uh, at Florida, I heard a lot from the administration that it was kind of his dream job. And so kind of his effort ended when he got to his dream job. Mm. And I think I had a little bit of that too, of like, you know, I wanted to become the starting kicker type thing at Florida. And, you know, my first year I just did kickoffs, which was awesome. We won the national championship that year. And mm-hmm. the second, the second year, you know, worked super hard because Jonathan Phillips came back and he had went 12 or 13 the year before. Um, and I just, you know, crushed him in that spring and summer <laughs> and, and Meyer came up to me and said, listen, you job, but I can't put out, you know, I can't sit a guy that went 92% last year. Mm-hmm. And so I, I understood that. And, um, but mm-hmm. sure enough, the first two games he struggled, um, I think he missed a short field goal and maybe an extra point or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got my opportunity and, you know, had a good year. Um, you know, I've had a one or two not, not so good games, pretty good sophomore year. And then, um, you know, didn't really have a great off season going into the junior year. Um, and then hurt my back really bad in the summer of my junior year. Played played the first uh, four games and fortunately, you know, finally got an MRI and uh, was shut down the rest of the year and was able to redshirt. So at that point, I thought, you know, I, with, it was a really bad spine injury. I wasn't able to kick for over six months. I thought I was probably done. Oh, wow. Yeah, I how'd, I you do, how'd you do that? Uh, so that was back to the the strength training thing. Oh man, it was yeah, I went really hard in the weight room and all. And and again, when you're 18, 19 years old, you trust everybody, and yeah. you think you know these strength coaches at the University of Florida know exactly what they're doing. But the guy that was working with us, um, you know, he was a former defensive tackle on the team and was moving boxes in Miami. And you know, Coach Meyer. Um, you know, didn't want him to do that anymore and, and hired him as a strength coach and coach, you know, coach Marotti put him with the specialist figuring, well, he can't mess anything up there. And, and he took it pretty offensively. And, uh, you know, so he tried to make us work out twice as hard as everybody else, because Jeez. he was going to show, he was going to show them that we had way better results with the kickers and kind oh of an, e- an ego thing, but there was no, there was no technique to anything we did. And, and also, that you know, as I get older, you learn the things, just genetics in general. And I have two hip impingements, so I don't squat uh-huh. well. Um, mm-hmm. you know, my hips don't move in the, in the sockets well. And, um, you know, just doing certain leg presses and squats and stuff to parallel for me. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't happen well. And um, so just overworked it and ended up with a pars fracture in my back, a herniated disc <sighs> and a bulging disc all at the same time. And uh, it was it was debilitating for a long time. Um, so, I, so I really thought I was done at that point. And then after about six months, started able, was able to kick again a little bit. And then uh, Coach Muschamp came in. And I'll love Coach Muschamp forever. He was so good to me. <laughs> and it was weird because I, you know, I played okay my sophomore year, missed my junior year. And he came right in and was like, hey, you're my guy. Like, you know, I've, I trust you're going to get it done. And he, there was no reason for him to necessarily do that. Um, and uh, so I came out and had a awesome uh, fourth year. And at that point, um, really started to think, you know, kind of looked around the NCAA and I was right up there at the best guys mm-hmm. and figured that, you know, I could really do this at the next level. Awesome. 
Man, okay, so that's a uh, sorry, I went down a <laughs> no, that's, that's really interesting. So, like, that's a you know, that's a lot to come back from not being able to kick for six months. Mm-hmm. Um, that's crazy, okay. So, all right, so you finish up at Florida and first stop in the NFL, you're with Miami for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mom, she's a you know, big Miami Dolphin fan. <laughs> So I told her, I was like, hey, I got uh, Caleb Sturgis coming on my um, fake podcast. You, you know, you have any uh, questions you want me to ask him? So because my mom asked me to ask you, mm-hmm. she just wanted to know how you liked playing on the Miami Dolphins. I really liked it. Um, I like uh, Steve Ross. I think he's a really good owner. Um, I, we were in Davie, Florida. I really like Fort Lauderdale, Davie area. If we were in South Miami, I don't know if I would have like living there as much um it's an interesting just because family. uh it's you know crazy place or what yeah it's just a little fast moving i would say um yeah you know, fort lauderdale is a little bit slower and then uh davies a lot slower <laughs> a little more like horse farms and things like that it's definitely mm-hmm. gro- it's growing like crazy um i grew up in st augustine so smaller town um but no i, re- I really enjoyed my time there um yeah i wish i would have performed a little bit better while being there and you know we had a uh, coach philbin who was he was a pretty funny character and uh we were i think we finished eight and eight both years i was there and just kind of right mm-hmm. on the cusp of of doing good things and it was funny too you know playing the high school state championship game there my brother was a big dolphins fan getting to stay in the state of florida was really neat mm-hmm. okay so you were there for two years and then after that you went to Philly and got to be part of a Super Bowl championship team. Yeah, it was a pretty, uh, pretty amazing experience. Uh, I only got to play one game uh, during that year before uh, having another injury, which was tough. And it's really tough to be injured, uh, you know, at any level and, you know, not being able to be out there. But it was really neat, too, to seeing the team come together and just kind of how all the parts fit together to uh make a run like that especially in the nfl you know where there's so much on the line um seeing just kind of the some of the free agent moves we made and the pickups we had uh and and how all that aligned seeing nick Foles come off the bench oh Uh, yeah that's right (laughs) yeah and i mean we the amount of injuries we had that year it was um it was just a super special year yeah that's good stuff yeah i mean I can't imagine being a part of something like that. Super cool. And um, what, uh, I know you got injured. So what was your injury uh, that time? So I tore my quad, or it's kind of my quad hip flexor on the left side of my leg. And it's the second time I did it. I I did it uh, going into the, my third year in Miami in the off season. And um, anytime, anytime you have almost a complete tear, just, you know, the scar tissue and whatnot is never quite as um, yep. flexible as, as before. And I did it again uh, yeah, you know, during the tough. first game of the season in the was that 2017 year season. Gotcha, man. Okay. Well, all right. Um, so I want to talk about, you know, kickers, they, you know, obviously can be put in very high stress scenarios and uh, you know, 
they can, you know, make the game winning field goal and it's just crazy. It's nuts. And everyone's going crazy and celebrating. Or then you have that pressure point and, you know, they miss the game winning field goal. And, you know, here I am, I'm sitting on my couch watching TV and they're just like zooming in on this kicker that just missed, missed the field goal. And, um, and you just like feel so bad. You're like, man, I can't even think about how bad he feels right now. So this is, you know, you know, on this podcast, we go sometimes into emotionally difficult places. So I want to talk about, you know, maybe some of your um, highs and lows as a kicker. And uh, so I'm curious first, like, is there any miss that stands out to you as like, man, that's just probably the most, the most painful one that I can recall? Man, I don't know if like one specific miss was, I mean, there's too, too many that I should have had, <laughs> um, you know, but the, probably the toughest experience for me was uh, my last year playing in the last game we were in Seattle and, you know, again, I was injured again, uh, pulled my quad again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the kicker we brought in was doing a good job and my, the games I was sitting out and probably came back a little too soon. Mm-hmm. And, and again, was coming back from the last quad injury the year before in Philadelphia. And I just didn't have it, you know, just <laughs> I'd go out there and I was protecting mm-hmm. uh, these injuries rather than, you know, focusing on the kick and trying to make the kick. And, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, I don't know if you play golf or, or anything, but, you know, there's a certain days where you can't hit a fairway <laughs> or just <laughs> there's not hitting the ball straight. And um, it's almost an out of body experience too of you know you got us what you've always done but it's just not working for you so that that specific game was definitely the hardest and that specific experience was definitely the hardest you know there's um i think my rookie year i made like seven or eight in a row in preseason then came out and made my first nine in a row in the season had a 57 yarder against baltimore that would have tied the game and just um, you know, had plenty of distance, but yanked it left a little bit. So mm. you just kind of wonder on things like that, you know, if that goes in, how much differently does the career play out type thing? Mm. Or maybe a few balls hit the post or something. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, there's uh, – kicking, again, is so black and white. And everybody knows it. And, and you uh, miss one or two. It's definitely a lonely feeling. Man. Okay. Well, yeah. So we're going to switch it up here then. And, like, so there's those ones that hurt, but then – what are some that stand out to you as like some of your, you know, greatest makes? Yeah. So trying to think of, uh, you know, one that always will stand out is growing up a huge Gator fan, growing up a Jaguars fan. Um, again, I played Georgia was always pretty awesome. So I had my longest field goal in college against Georgia I had a 56 yarder. Um, so that, that one will always uh, stand out as amazing, amazing feeling. Um, I hit a game winner against Arkansas. That was uh, pretty awesome. Um, I made a 55-yarder yep. against uh, that, the Cowboys. And Cowboys Stadium was just unreal place to play. I mean, it's just it's just a show in there with that screen and everything <laughs> like that. Yeah. And on that one, it was right before halftime. And they you know, made it once. They had called a timeout. I had to hit it again. Um, so does that does that, uh, does that work, like icing? What is the kicker's take on icing? I don't think so. I don't think I ever missed after being ice. So, um, I, w- I would say no. <laughs> I liked getting the the kick. You know, you you get to hit it. You get to see what the wind's going to do to it. 
<laughs> and then you get another chance. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the statistics are. And I, I'd have a tough time seeing it uh, being swayed one way or the other. But the one, the yeah. one thing though, I think this is, plays really big in football, maybe all sports, is there certain everybody does. And if you don't do it, it'll always be Then you're criticized. Right. So So if if he makes it and you didn't ice him and you had a timeout that you lose with, maybe you should have is what people will say. Everybody will question it. Versus if you you do ice him, everybody says, well, everybody else ices him. So he did the right thing. Uh, So I I think there's definitely a good bit of that in in football in general, probably every sport. Gotcha. All right, so um, before we, uh, you know, move on from football into current day life of Caleb Sturgis, um, curious, you know, when you're watching football on uh, Saturdays and Sundays, um, I mean, who who are the best kickers out there right now, um, you know, playing the game right now? Yeah, I mean, I think one guy that stands out, and he's the crazy thing, he's already probably the best kicker to ever play, and it's not even close, is – is Justin Tucker. Um, you know, he's just mm-hmm. such a he's such a weapon and in the sense that, you know, a lot of guys have really good years and a lot of even three or four good years in a row. But I, he's never had a bad year per se. And just the ease that he makes uh long field goals with is is crazy. You know, I I don't know what the percentage is over fifty now, but it's climbed it used to be, you know, fifty fifty and now it's probably up to like sixty five maybe getting close to 70%, but he's still probably close to 90% over 50. Wow. It's just such a difference, especially in the NFL. I forget what percentage of games are within one score, they say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, he's probably you know, nine, ten points better than the next best guy. And, and two, and just the range that you feel comfortable putting him out there. And, uh, you know, I think right. – I mean, what was, his, uh, what was his kick earlier this year, 60-whatever or something? 66. Well, there's probably six guys in the NFL that would realistically line up for that. Maybe eight guys. <laughs> and, uh, and it's crazy with him. I, you know, I the majority of people would probably expect him to make it. And I just don't, there's not very many other guys like that. Um, but no, there's, there's a lot of, uh, really good, really good kickers too. You know, um, two of my good friends are Chris, Chris Boswell and Cairo Santos. I text them a, mm-hmm. a lot and they've both had an unbelievable few years here, you know, in the high 90%. It's, it's pretty wild being able to, uh, that percentage and it's all, all around the league. Harrison Bucker is a really good player. Uh, McManus and Denver, um, you know, Bass and Buffalo has been unbelievable. So there, there, there's a ton of good, uh, kickers right now. Yeah. I think, um, Tucker, he's, you know, my, my fantasy team is, you know, been on a, a sharp um, downward spiral over the last month or two, but he's like the one shining light and it's been, I think he might even be my top scorer a couple of weeks here and there. <laughs> yeah. Well, he tries like double the amount of 50 yarders as everybody else. Right. What is it? Five points every time. Well, I mean, yeah, that. you get some extra points, which honestly is not fair because I think the way the point system goes is I think above 50 is, you know, as far as the, the points are differentiated. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I feel like now that he's booming 60 yarders, I think that Mike Bryant or Dave or whoever should maybe like change the points. Cause I feel like a 66 
yarder should be worth more than a 50 yarder. But I think I got the same amount of points for that. Yeah, I feel like so. I, I thought maybe after 50, every yard back, you do point one or something. You know, 66 oh. should, should have been at least like 6.6. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should go look at that. But um, at any <laughs> rate, he's like propping up my team right now. So Yeah, no, he's a beast. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it's 2021. What is Caleb Sturgis up to these days? Yeah, so I'm in, I'm in real estate now. Um, I do some residential and commercial deals. And then mm-hmm. – uh, I have two kids at home, uh, third third on the way. Oh wow! So, Congrats. Thank you. That is you're, uh, you're brave. Th- yeah, it takes the the majority of the time, <laughs> and then uh, also I still do a good amount of uh, kicking lessons. Okay. Um, I, I really enjoy enjoy doing that. Um, you know, I had some really good coaches growing up that helped me along the way, and then uh, more recently, I've also gotten pretty into pickleball, and actually, I'm now the the pro here at. Uh, Hawkstone Country Club. So, man. Okay. So, two things there. So, first, for your kicking lessons. So, are you um working, you know, like as a coach with a local school, or are you just doing like private lessons? Yeah. So last year I helped out at Buholtz High School, mm-hmm. who are in the semifinal this year, which is pretty awesome. Um, but this year I didn't, you know, um, with Kimberly being pregnant with number three, and um, yeah. you know, I'm doing more in the real estate now. I haven't had as much time to do that, but so it's more of the individual lessons, mostly on weekends gotcha. that, that I'm able to do this. Gotcha. And then uh, pickleball, mm-hmm. I don't even know what that is, but like I've heard really? people talk about it. So yeah. like, what is that? Oh man. So if you've never heard of it before. <laughs> so, no, uh, like I've heard of it. I've heard people talk about it, but I literally have no idea like yeah. what, so that, you, what that means. Imagine tennis and ping pong mashed into one game that's and you wake up that's probably what what you do see so it's uh it's played with kind of like a wiffle ball and mm-hmm. paddles and the net's a little bit lower and there's what's called the kitchen which is the no volley line so you can't hit the ball in the air while standing in the kitchen so you can't just sit right at the net and poach everything mm-hmm. and uh but it's, it's a super cool game because you don't have to have a huge racket country club background to get started mm. you know if you have good hand-eye coordination yeah or even don't you know it's you can pick up the game super fast you can yeah. make improvements really fast and um there's just way less barriers to entry which is why it's becoming such a popular sport gotcha because yeah hitting a tennis ball ain't easy That's... no it, and if you started yeah if you started in your 30s you would probably take like six years before well and you yeah, you so probably, like dislocate your shoulder or something too along the way. Um, yeah, I mean, you have kids; you don't have time for that. <laughs> pickleball right, is an so underhand pickleball. Server, so. All right, I gotta check it out because I hear people talking about it sometimes. So, um, yeah. all right, well, we're gonna be coming up on an hour here soon. So, um, I know some people in the league they get a little bit, you know, antsy if these things get too long here. So. You know, for all guests, we got a couple of questions that we hit them with at the end. So we'll give you our three questions here. So first uh, thing, um, if we haven't talked about it already, what would be your favorite football memory as a player or a spectator? And actually, let's get one of both because we probably talked about some of your favorite kicks already. So uh, give us your favorite football memory as a player and a spectator. 
favorite one as a player. I still remember the 2012 win that we had against uh, Florida State was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were a really good team there. Obviously, they won the national championship the next year. They had like nine guys drafted that year. That was an amazing, amazing game. It seemed like the statement that Muschamp needed to kind of really turn the corner at Florida. We've, um, we should have won the national championship that year. They put Notre Dame in front of us. Anyways, uh, that that memory was, was was pretty awesome. Um, as far as the spectator, it's kind of funny. Um, in person, I'd say the coolest game I ever went to was probably uh, Florida Tennessee in 2015. I think it was. It was McElwain's first year there, and uh-huh. we were down like 14. No, we were down 10 late in the game. I think and scored a late touchdown. And then came back now like the fourth and ten. That was the Callaway down the sideline, yep. and mm-hmm. I was I was on the sideline for that game, and it was oh, just nice. I mean the swamp was roaring. It was such a cool moment. Oh, good stuff. All right, uh, and then from like a strategy or theory standpoint, what would be your favorite football play, excluding field goals or extra points? <laughs> yeah. It's funny the the one play that always stands out to me. It's uh, it's so funny that the Patriots ran it. I feel like they do some stuff just to mess with other teams and and uh and watching. But the throwback to Tom Brady just cracks me out. The fact that he you know runs a five five forty and they 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 love the throwback to him. And it's funny they did it to us twice when I was with the Eagles. The first time we played him, oh man, when when, when Chip was there in two thousand fifteen, and he like forty yards down the sideline. And then uh, in the Super Bowl, they did it again. But Edel was it? No, it was Amendola just overthrew him just with mm-hmm. touch, and it was a major. It was a turnover on downs, a major play in the game. But that, that play, and then obviously the Philly special was pretty awesome too. But very similar concept uh, on those plays. Good stuff. All right, and uh, you know, on podcasts, people like to talk about other podcasts. So, do you have uh, anything you're listening to? watching reading that you could recommend to the group oh man um trying to think the one book i always like to recommend if you're doing any kind of uh if you're doing any kind of training or taking lessons or anything like that the inner game of tennis is really good that's what i try to remind myself anytime i'm coaching whether it be pickleball or or kicking or anything else and it just it talks about, you know, doing very, giving very little instruction as far as the number of things to improve on, mm-hmm. but being able to re- replicate that enough to where you can handle more. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, you know, something that's you know, really resonated with me because especially in kicking, if you have so- someone that's new at something, you can correct something on every single kick. But, mm-hmm. you know, by the time they're done with the lesson, you gave them 100 things and they have no idea what the first thing was. Right. And and they're worse than when they came. So for me, that's uh, and the inner game of tennis is all about. It's is you know he was an instructor that taught tennis, and the same thing. People would come out and be complete amateurs, and he would coach every single swing, and they would be worse than when they came. And uh, interesting, it, it's it's a good book, especially if you're ever trying to improve on a you know a certain skill set. I would say interesting. The inner game of tennis. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll check it out. All right, so. You are on the, you know, big Sugar Loop stage. Um, we got at least a couple people that listen to this podcast. So is there anything else that uh, we didn't talk about yet that you would like to say? 
Um, yeah, well, I want to know a little bit more about the history of the league and, and who uh, who's won the most championships. Well, I would like to know more about that too. So I, uh, you know, I don't know a lot about it. I'm, you know, a new guy here as well. Okay. So um, next week. Yeah, maybe I'll I'll uh, I'll do a little segment next week. I'll try to gather some information, and um, we'll get some some stats on the the history of the league. Awesome. That sounds great. <laughs> All right. Well, Caleb, thank you for your time. And uh, it's been great talking to you. And um, I wish you the best of luck um, with your, you know, 21% chance of uh, making the playoffs here. I appreciate it. You're saying there's a chance. That's, that's all I need. There's all right. a chance. <laughs> all right. Good night, sir. Yeah. Have a good one.